0: It's episode 34 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host Stuart Moses and a big thanks goes out to Steve Rowe of Hoopla for describing me as the Improv John Craven which is very much a, a nickname I'm hoping will catch on and that I will live up to. This week's guest is Mike Hutcherson.
1: Are you going to be heard from there? Yes. Where's the microphone? Is it on the top? It's actually there. Ah, so kind of okay. Omnidirectional. Yeah. Um,
0: and strangely, there's never any problem with me being heard. Really? On this podcast. You, you've got such gravitas. <laughs> yes, I just I'm here. It's like Morgan Freeman. Yes. Well, oh, that's very nice comparison. <laughs> I will take that. Uh, yes, very much the Morgan Freeman that I'm going for.
1: Yeah? Yes. Going to narrate some penguins. Yes. <laughs>
0: When I first met Andy Dufresne, (laughs) he was just a tall drink of water.
1: (laughs) The worst Morgan Freeman impression (laughs) anyone's ever done. I'm known for my bad impressions. Are you? Yeah. Lewis, who you've interviewed, has, uh, like, notes that my, I I did Keanu Reeves, and he's like, it's great, because your Keanu Reeves sounds like Nick Cage, and your Nick Cage sounds like Keanu Reeves, and you don't. Put them in the same ballpark no. you don't think that they sound like the same voice no. but they're both airy like there's sort a of no. air in their voice keanu is more like a hippie kind of oh really i know kung fu and <laughs> nick cage is just a hair more intense but the same voice oh my god <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Like, and I didn't realise I was generally trying to do separate impressions. <laughs> and Lewis pointed out the Venn diagram of my bad impressions. Um, and hey, Nick Cage and Keanu Reeves, who'd have thought? Done badly, same voice.
0: <laughs> There's a little tip for all the uh, listeners out there wanting to perfect their <laughs> oh, own Oh, we're presence. putting this on the podcast. I think we should put that on okay, the podcast. I think we should put that. There. That's a nice little tip. This is the, <laughs> the intro to me is is a bad Morgan Freeman. And, <laughs> so that's fine, I can live well. Well, yes, yeah, so let just do the official welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, hello. It's, hello, Mike Hutchison. Welcome to the Improv London podcast. Woo! Hey, I'm a long-time listener. Oh, thank you very first-time much. First-time interviewee. Yes. <laughs> interviewer, interviewee. You've interviewed many of my chums. Brilliant. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to add
0: you to the list of chums. List of chums. List of chums. The chum list. The chum list. It's a good list to be on. <laughs> what
1: an honour. I love being on the chum list. <laughs> it's like one word as well, chum list. It sounds like an occupation. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a chum
0: list. I think it's more of a vocation rather than... <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this pays. Uh, <laughs> true. Uh, Very true. Lots of things to talk about. Okay. Um, Improv, I guess, is probably one we should perhaps focus in on that a little bit. (laughs) Just a bit. (laughs) Otherwise, we really are going to be here for quite a long time. I was going to talk about
1: um, Chechnya. Yeah?
0: Mm. (laughs) Let's talk about Glitch. Okay, sure. Glitch is a thing. Let's
1: start at the end. Let's do it. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Glitch is a thing. Yeah. That's like like two really good things. Mm Mm-hmm. Puppets and improv. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, but you just thought, well, maybe I should, like,
1: combine the two and make, like, a doubly good thing. Yeah, that's kind of the goal. It's funny you said two, because I always think of it as free Because, I mean, absolutely, people see glitch, like, the improvised puppetry, and they hear puppetry, improv. But, like, my thing when creating it was always uh, bunraku puppetry, tabletop puppetry, and improv, but the narrative is a huge, huge part of uh, what Glitch is and what I wanted to do with it. Like, I'm a huge narrative nerd. And I, even before making making it puppets, I wanted to do an improv group that was long-form narrative because I'd studied comparative mythology and screenwriting and brought those into improv. And I was like, oh, I think I know how to do narrative improv. And I saw a lot of other groups doing narrative improv um, I don't want to say wrong, but wrong. <laughs> no, that's terrible. But do you know what I mean? Like, I was coming at it not from an improv standpoint, but from screenwriting and comparative mythology and mythology, and I was seeing, I kind of developed some tools. I thought, if we did things like this, this, and this, like, that would, you know, help a, help a well-told story. And also the two things kind of Kind of slant up against each other, improv and narrative, um, and that 's why it 's so easy to to kind of mess it up. Uh, certainly, maybe a less experienced improviser will, will be do, doing a narrative show and think the important thing is information, and you often hear um, you know an infant like way too much information in a narrative show we've got to go over here we 're going to cross the bridge and get the key to the, to the, to the king and then release the dragon, and then we were going to ride the dragon. It's like, dude, 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 let's let's just walk over to the bridge, and maybe we'll meet someone there, and then we'll see what happens. Do you know what I mean? But certainly, like, that was, like, what I wanted to bring to narrative improv was kind of simplicity and going one step at a time, but at the same time having a a very basic kind of structure there that we're trying to tell compelling, interesting stories that are character-driven, not information-driven.
0: And you got that from studying
1: comparative mythology? Yeah, yeah. So, do you know? No. Oh, you're shrugging your shoulders in confusion. Um, so there's lots of great books and writings on comparative mythology, but the the kind of bible, <coughs> the 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 del close of comparative mythology, yeah. is uh, this guy Joseph Campbell. Right. He wrote a book called um, "Hero of a Thousand Faces." He was written a bunch of books on the on the concept, and he kind of was. Kind of made the point that uh, we was looking at all the different religions and uh, histories of all these of cultures from around the world uh, to, to at a play, at a time when they weren't able to communicate with each other or know what everyone else was doing. We now are able to look back through all these cultures' histories and see what they were doing. And Campbell made the uh, recognition that all these cultures not oblivious of what everyone else was doing, whether it's Russian folklore or, you know, Chinese folklore or European fairy tales, you know, Aboriginal stories, like all these different cultures, they were all telling the same story, right? Mm. They were all doing like 20 beats in their stories that were identical. Oh. Um, and it was based on the audience. It, was, it wasn't the, based on the writers all having the same idea. They would tell the story and the audience would like these bits and not like these other bits. And eventually, they would all develop and change their stories. And the, the story that they all developed, Campbell called it the monomyth, or the hero's journey, were all incredibly similar mm. universally. And that's fascinating. That, to me, blew, blew my mind when I mm. came across that. And I wasn't even studying improv when I found that. I was, I was really kind of digging deep into narrative. I, I was interested in mythology, and I was studying screenwriting. I want to make movies, and I loved that. I loved that idea that all these that, that these stories came from audience reaction, and every audience around the world wants the same things from their stories. Mm. You know, they want uh, they want a protagonist. They want to follow one definitive character, and not get messy with multiple characters. They want a good story. They want that character to have a change in their situation, a change that is potentially bigger than them, they want their ordinary life to not be great, but be normal, and then the change to change their world entirely. They don't want it to go well all the time, Mm. you know, they want bad things to happen, they want to meet allies, and you know, and if you look at everything from like, when I teach this, I always like bring up Pixar movies, because I think they're the best thing, but you could literally do this with any well-told story, a fairy tale or an action movie, it's always the same story. that's kind of what the concept of comparative mythology is. Cool.
0: So you had that interest and that kind of narrative interest. Yeah. So you encountered
1: improv before the puppets? Yeah. Yeah, no. No. Um, I encountered the style of puppetry I'm doing with Glitch afterwards, but uh, I was doing puppetry when I was a kid, like really young. My parents parents told a story about... um, I think I was uh, just destroyed bath sponges just to make puppets, you know, you oh, just yeah. like put a slit halfway through the sponge and all of a sudden you've got a mouth, yeah, yeah. <laughs> draw with a felt tip, eyes on, put a t-shirt on your arm and you're done, that's a puppet, right? <laughs> like, literally, I think I was like eight, or like seven or eight when I first did that and I was like, bah, 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 like made a puppet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it looked like shit, it was a sponge with eyes drawn on it, yeah. but yeah. <clears throat> literally take that and from then to now and like I was like "Mm, well if I could learn to sew I could make these better and that interest kind of in my teens kind of got me interested in what theatre was going on with puppetry and I started discovering what was going on. It was about that time that I found a community of theatre like children's theatre that were touring with children's shows uh, that were with puppetry and in my late teens, I ended up uh, after college went and went on tour with a number of these companies, and yeah, I'd already uh, by college I'd discovered improv, but uh, improv has been a floaty thing in my life. Like mm. it stopped to, for the puppetry, or it stopped mm. for me to live abroad for a bit, and it's come back uh, constantly. But yeah, I found the puppetry first. Um, I think uh, because of the movie, The Labyrinth. Mm. Oh, I love
0: Labyrinth. <laughs> and Labyrinth is one of those films that I only saw quite recently. Right. And you, there are so many films that people love because they saw them at a really formative age. Yeah, yeah, edge. yeah. Um, but I saw it quite recently, and I still thought it was amazing.
1: It blew and my I tiny mind it. as a child. It blew my tiny... And I was like... I'm too young to have seen it in the cinema or anything, but my older brothers and sisters did go to the cinema and, to see it, and they were all raving about it or whatever. Eventually, it was in my house on VHS, and I just, it just the, the story and the the ideas and the imagination, like, it, that, like, I just, I think I decided there and then that I want to, not necessarily do puppetry, but I wanted to make stuff, mm. you know, whether it's film or, or, or you know, theatre or anything, really. But, uh, yeah, definitely the puppetry started there. Mm. And so you, how did you discover improv? Um... Half, like two, two separate entities at the exact same time. I was studying theatre at college. Um, I'm from Devon, I'm from Torquay, middle of nowhere. You can't really, you know, you can study anything in London, right? Here there weren't a lot of creative options. I had no interest in being an actor ever but I studied theatre performance, basically, like, like an actor would. I had no interest in doing that, but it was the closest thing to doing something creative I could do. And as part of that, uh, course. It's a BTEC National Diploma in Performing Arts, which d- I don't think exists anymore. But I don't think it does, no. No. This is way back. We're, going, <laughs> we're in the 90s. Um, yeah, so as a part of that, they do improv, but by a... taught to you by a teacher who doesn't know or give a shit about improv. <laughs> right? It's the best way to learn. Yeah. But I imagine, like, that happens is happening around the world. Like, it's on the syllabus. It has to be taught. And you know, they just don't know how to teach it because they're not experiencing it. They're, they're, but, they're all, you know, teachers have to teach everything. So, you know, you can't expect them to nail, nail everything. I'm sure that they all just want to do Shakespeare, you know. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to do this weird shitty thing where they make shit up. I don't want, I don't want to do that. I want to do Brett. Um, yeah, so we, they, uh, Keith, Keith Johnson's book, the first one, Impro, um, uh, was taught as part of the syllabus. And at the same time, I was going to, like, uh, puppet theatre festivals, and I came up here to London and watched uh, Improbable Theatre. Do you know Improbable? No. Um, it's kind of an adult group that do more contemporary stuff with, with theatre and, and everything. And I saw a show called Seventy Hill Lane, and in Improbable Theatre is Lee Simpson, who's one of the comedy store players, mm. um, Uh, So he often brings improv elements into the show, and this was a more devised piece that they were doing, and it was actually based on um, Phelan McDermott, who's another member of the 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 company, was based on in his childhood, and they had they were doing puppetry with newspaper and sellotape, and they would build the puppets in front of your eyes. Wow! Like they would literally just pull out sellotape and make a big mess, and they would mold the shape of a human, and start manipulating it and it would walk, and, and in some cases, and the same with newspaper, they would just start screwing up newspaper on a table and just shape it into a, a character, and just their manipulation of the characters was just, and it, it again blew my mind once more, and I just thought, I love puppetry at this point, and um, it was amazing, but I went to see that show twice. Um, they had a puppeteer called Steve Tiplady, who I've since met, it's wonderful, in the company, but there was a show that he couldn't make, and Lee Simpson, who directed I believe, took over his role for one night, but he didn't know the show. <laughs> but they're all improvisers. Yeah. And Faye McDermott's an improviser. And who else was in that show? Guy Darnett. And uh, these are amazing people, but I saw it first with... I saw the perfect, developed, more planned version mm. first. I saw it, like, a bit later on, like, six or ten months later, a festival. Um, and Lee was just improvising. And it... And, it was right about the time I was studying it at school and I was at college and I, was, and I it was great to watch Lee Simpson this amazing advisor, yeah. get through the show that I'd already seen using improv and, and but more more than anything I enjoyed the rest of the cast dancing around him and like <laughs> trying to push it in the right direction and understanding and it and there was just it but it, it was it was brought up we knew it was improv uh, and it was just wonderful to watch and it and that kind of that made me fall in love with it. And then straight after that, I got on their mailing list, and they did a uh, uh, a weekend course, basically. And that was my first improv course, and it was with Lee Simpson, wow. who's one of the comedy store players. And also there was Neil Ashdown, who's been on Whose Lines Anyway. So this is my first improv training, was with people like that. And right. I, I, it was just a weekend course. It was just like three days. It was a long weekend. Two days. Yeah, it was three days. And I fell in love with improv, and I realized what it was. Because the, in school, my teacher, who just wants to teach us Shakespeare, doesn't know what it is, yeah. you know. Never said, like, yes and is a thing. Really, This is like, oh, spontaneity. And then you do, like, <laughs> he's literally, like, half reading Keith Johnson's book and, like, oh, I get it. Uh, <laughs> you know? Not even that. They read one chapter on it, and that's the chapter we looked at. So once I had that course, once I'd done that weekend... I came back to my college and formed a group. I just formed a group with like three funny friends of mine. Yeah. And at my college, we had these things called, um, we had this Wednesday at one was, it was a big thing. The theatre is available to anyone who wants to use it Wednesday at one to put on a show. Wow. One o'clock being lunchtime. Yes. Right? So you can get an audience. Yeah, people nice. come and eat their sandwiches. Yeah. And people would book it long in advance if they were like, there was, you know, it was a performing arts college. There was, you know, dancers and actors wanted to, practice their pieces and people would people would put on shows but not every week if there was a hole if there was a gap we put on an improv show because like and we would advertise it that day we would sp- we'd like call up whoever's in charge of booking and be like has anyone booked the space is yeah. anyone put on a show to- this wednesday yeah, yeah. and be like oh no no the dance troupe are going but someone's fall out so we're not doing it we would that day just spread word we're doing an improv show at lunchtime at wow. one o'clock and we would do an improv show at one o'clock and have an audience. Wow. Like we did it that like over two years and we eventually like got a nice following. A yeah. very really like a just within the college, just yeah, within yeah, the yeah. walls of our of our space. Yeah. But like people would be like, oh, the group's called Jamja. Jamja are playing this Wednesday and we would just come on and we didn't do it often and we didn't even have it regularly. We'd go months without doing one. And then we'd just start messing with it. Then we got experimental. Then we were like plugging in a, the camera into a projector and we did a whole show with the projector and a camera and and, wow. no, and we were just experimenting with different things. So, so, so that's kind of where you, oh, like, yeah. where, where did you, what, so what did you start doing and then... Cause, well we started just doing improv. We actually, the first thing we did was improv narrative out of nowhere just because um, one of the four of us, my friend Derek, played piano. We're like, oh, let's do musicals. <laughs> like, we, we just didn't know better. <laughs> and that's a beautiful
0: place to be because you really don't know is. what the limits are. To now, I'm it. so
1: scared of improv musicals because I know that it's an art form. You know, yeah. I'm in a group with people who are brilliant at it. I often perform on stage with like Lewis and Connor Jatter and uh, you know Charlie Dinkin, who can just on the spot just start singing a song and make it up. And I. You know, I think that's a skill. That's a separate set of skill, almost, that that you can learn and get better at. Uh, And I sing in Glitch all the time. I just don't have that magic little thing where you just can pull a rhyme out, you know, and build the structure. I know that's something you can learn and get better at, but I also think you have to be, like, a music nerd. (laughs) You know, you go to Connor's house, and it's not surprising that there's just records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm a movie nerd, so I'm I'm good at narrative, I guess. But, (laughs) like, certainly... And Lewis just knows, like... Every musical in the world. So you've got to have that in your soul first, yeah. I think. Although I am, I'm sure musical improv teachers like, I guess, Katie Shute and Heather and all that lot would say, like, no, 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 you can learn it, you can learn it. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, we just did uh, – uh, we just – first three we did were just musicals because wow. Derek played piano. And he would just, like, do something really simple and we would just make noises or sing the most basic song. And we didn't care about rhyming. Um, yeah. So the first couple we did were musicals. Then we did some more short formy stuff. Then we did some stuff that was half developed. And then we just got nuts. Then we were just <laughs> like, let's just all wear, let's just all, all wear like white painters suits, and dungarees. Yeah, like you know the painters kind of zip up. Like, oh right. Onesies. Oh yeah. With the hoods up. Oh yeah, yeah. And just do really like what we called like weird improv, <laughs> like which is just like. We wouldn't do scenes or characters would just make noises or just like do silent scenes. And we didn't know that that was a thing at that point. (laughs) Because at that point, all I had done was this one weekend with uh, Improbable. Uh, And it wasn't until like years later, I moved up to London and studied with other people and did Crunchy Frog. uh, And I did uh, Imprology, um, which is Remy Bernard's group. Um, That I was like, oh... It's more, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so
0: with um, so with glitch, um, you're very sort of it's narrative. Mm-hmm. So you start the show.
1: What do you ask the audience for at the beginning? Yeah. So we've gone through different phases, asking different things, but we've fallen in this thing that I really like, um, where we. Uh, we get a suggestion from the audience of a character's first name, and then we get then we get their second name, and I make sure it's... If they give us an ordinary first name, I make sure it's a weird second name. Oh, that's so interesting. So if they go John, I'm like, let's give John a, a second name that the character would normally have. And then they say something like, Toaster. I'm like, brilliant. Hmm. The hero of our story is John Toaster. Um, and then I look then, we look... then we try and get a and the title. Right. So John Toaster and the... So like the Harry Potter yeah. or Indiana Jones or... Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, you know. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Chamber of Secrets. There's always, like, some cool, like, location or object uh, or character in, that, in those kind of titles. Yes. So across, you know, quite quickly across the whole audience, we've got interesting, fun character name. That doesn't really matter, you know. It doesn't, that doesn't inform the character too much, although sometimes it can. Um, I mean, it certainly informs gender most of the time. Um... <clears throat> And then we get, but it's the and the something something yeah, that's that is so that is a fun way of doing. And and I've never seen anyone do that before. We just no. kind of, we did a bunch in of shows in a row where we ended up having a and the title, so-and-so and the, um, and we just kind of stuck. And I really like it. I think it's fun. It gives each show we've done a, a really cool title, mm. you know. And somewhere I've got a log of them. Yeah. I, I, I try to keep a log of them, then I'll forget for like six months. And then then I'll send out an email going, Hey, anyone's seen us in the last six months? <laughs> Do you remember what the show was called?
0: I love that. I'm very interested in, um, you know, improvisers and what notes or what records they take of the shows that they've done. <laughs> I find that really interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I find it interesting, too. I mean, uh, we've, I've kind of totally slacked on that. At the beginning, I was really keeping track of it. But I, I think I haven't filled that in in, like, ten months. <laughs> and I will have to backtrack. Thankfully, sometimes I'll tag the title in with a photo, so I think yeah. I'll work it out. I think we'll work it out. Yeah, so we, that's our get, is we get the title, basically, the title of the show. And so we get the, the thing, and I'll, we try and grab whatever the interesting thing is in that title, you know, and put it in our back pocket and not use it immediately. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, I and mean, Lewis, would just talk about this yesterday – Music box would say so. If the title was, and the, angry prison, right, They will do their opening number in a prison, yes. right? Which is how musicals work, because it's a theatre. It's piece of theatre. Like the history of musicals is often, centred in a few locations, mm. whereas what we're doing is uh, often more questy and epic. We can we can go anywhere. We can. We're not confined. We're not trying to be confined to that location. We actually actively try to go on an adventure and Mm. see different things and meet different characters and (laughs) give our protagonists problems to solve and situations to get around. Uh, So we try to do... We try to start somewhere that is completely different. Mm. Sometimes using one of the unused suggestions from the audience as well, which is fun. But yeah, so if they said prison, we're starting our show... On the North Pole, or <laughs> or just in a suburban house in the middle of nowhere, you know, or in the middle of a cornfield. We're just gonna be like, we'll get to the prison, like. Um, Charlie Martin is in the group, uh, was saying last night that she's she's sure that the audience think we fucked up. <laughs> like, oh, we didn't say cornfield, we said prison. Why are they? <laughs> what are they doing? They've messed up. They've forgotten the title.
0: Already. <laughs> Which does happen in improv shows, to be oh, fair. I'm the
1: worst. I'm the worst. And the good thing about Glitch is, like, because we're operating puppets, like, and we're really tight, close to each other. I, I, this is the worst thing, and no one should ever do this. <laughs> yeah. I'm operating, I'm like, I'm not in the scene, but I'm yeah. operating someone's feet. Yeah. Like, and then someone else is operating another pu- puppet's feet next to me, and, but our people above us are actually operating the main puppet. Yeah, yeah. And I'll just, like, lean in and be like, what's the time of the shit? <laughs> <sighs> what is it? <laughs> I'm like, have a or I'll do that to, like, Fraser, our musician, I'll just lean in. He, he always remembers. Like, <laughs> I think we're going to start writing it on a whiteboard and putting it near the clock
0: or something. Cause... I was hoping there was a secret though that you could share that you know so that people could help remember their names. No, but, no, no, yeah, no
1: I'm the worst. I'm sure, <laughs> and I see some really crazy smart improvisers who I think nail that every time uh, and are... Keeping track of every character's name. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I really I'm, aspire to I that. I wish I could do that. Yeah. I think we all need to... I think this isn't improv. We need to study to get good at that. I think there's, like, brain training exercises. <laughs> yes. Or remember the... Uh, Remember people's names and connect them to a visual object, because we remember objects better than words, but I don't know. We need to create improv memory palaces. Yeah, memory palaces that we can open up doors and walk around inside and be like, ah, do you remember this? (laughs) Close the door. (laughs) Do you remember this from the first scene? It's hard enough improvising. Do you remember your mum character from scene one? (laughs) We called her Agnes. Okay, I'm going to shut that door, remember it's there. (laughs) We disappear for 45 minutes and come back to the door, and we're all just like... Uh, open the door. No, nope, it. <laughs> Agnes is in there, screaming at us. <laughs> um,
0: so uh, so you do the first thing. So, um, so one of the puppets initiates the scene. Yeah. Does the puppet have a premise in mind, or is it more organic?
1: Well, you've got to understand that behind the puppet is an improviser. Everyone's like, is there a theory about this thing? We're just doing an improv show with puppets. We're all all still improvisers. Oh, I see. (laughs) But no, we know nothing. We know nothing going in, and for the most part, we don't even know who the protagonist is going to be, and sometimes we've started doing, we've started opening the show with a character doing something physical in silence. And that character often becomes the protagonist. And we started doing that kind of because we want to introduce the audience to the concept of bunraku puppetry, of tabletop puppetry. Mm. Because if they haven't seen a show like it before, or even seen a tabletop puppet, we can't start giving them stuff straight away. Mm. So we've started opening the show quite quietly with a puppet, walking on stage and doing something. And I don't know what, but it might be something that's physical, just like moving a box from one place to another, or putting books on shelves or something. And then eventually another character will come in, and often that first character, the first puppet on, we decide is the protagonist, but not necessarily. And that's something we've only started doing recently, and I think it helps, you know, because, like I said, we're juggling balls: we're juggling narrative and improv and puppetry. And we've got a very unique approach to all three of those. Mm. We've got a very unique approach to at least two of them. Certainly our narrative and our puppetry we're doing in a, in a, in a way that is unique to us. Um, and we've kind of got to get the audience used to the idea of what we're doing. Because it's not, you know, short-form games that they, they've seen before. We want to l- let them slowly take it in. And I think starting the show like that, simply. And... We don't know who's going to grab that puppet. We don't know who's going to end up being the protagonist. Mm. Um, or even if that first character on it is the protagonist. <clears throat> um, but yeah, we take that character and, and then we just do an opening scene. I think what you might find interesting is that what I think is that not a lot of groups doing is we're doing protagonist-led storytelling. Mm. So we often, we rarely have a B story. Almost never have a B story. Mm. And the protagonist is in all the scenes, right? So lots of groups are doing, like an A B C structure. What do you mean by A B C? So, structure? A story. We'll do a scene with these two characters. It's you know, it's the captain, and the first mate on a pirate ship, and we'll establish that. B story, like oh, we're the next. It's two guys, you know, in the engine room. Yeah, do some doing sweeping. Thing. Yeah, yeah, and then the C story. It's, uh, it's. Um, you know, a guy on a desert island and his parrot, right? <laughs> and then we'll go back to A, we'll see the captain, you know, ABC, yeah, 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 ABC. Right, yeah. So you've seen that format. Mm. It's kind of a Harold. Harold's another thing that people are doing a lot. And there's, there's often like two or three stories going on. So showstoppers and music box do three narratives often, or two narratives. <clears throat> We've got one protagonist, and we follow them all the way through. And there's not many groups doing that, which, mm. which I found fascinating, because most stories are that. Right? Most certainly most movies and, you know, fairy tales are that. We mm. have Little Red Riding Hood, you know, and we follow her all the way through. We don't cut to the <laughs> woodsman somewhere else wandering yeah. around, I wonder what's going on the other side of the woods. <laughs> you know, it's it's her story and we are with her all the way through and you know, the same is true of, you know, um, Wally, right? Pixar movie maybe Wally, hmm. like, we we're with Wally all the way through. There's a few bits where we move around, but it's essentially his story and we we're following that character. And that's how we do it. And we give you know, one of our, one of the important things we do is we don't do anything narrative at the beginning of our show. Oh, that's right? We we strip away any narrative choices for at least one scene, sometimes more. Mm. Um, and that again is like an interesting like thing that no one else is really doing, I've noticed, but we're doing that to introduce the protagonist, you know? Mm. We're just we're just before there's a call to adventure, before our protagonist's life changes in some way. We're just hanging out with mm-hmm. this character and getting to hopefully getting the audience to make like an emotional connection and like this character, mm. you know. And like Lord of the Rings, right? We we meet Frodo, and it's I think half an hour, maybe more, until <laughs> Gandalf shows up and with a ring and he's like, oh my god, can you get rid of this for me? Run, a, yeah, yeah. run across the land for free movies. <laughs> you know? But it, the half hour is just him like hanging out, we see him partying, we meet this guy, and that's, that's important. That's really important. And the same with Wally. We meet him and no words, no dialogue. We just see this robot packing up boxes and putting them in his chest and building these things and we see other dead robots and then he puts himself in his, like, bed, like, containment thing, and he watches a movie, and he saves a little cockroach from the wind outside, and then he crawls in his cot and rocks himself to sleep. Like, this is, none of this is narrative. This is character information, and we're just, just spending time uh, giving the audience an opportunity to fall in love with this character before. The giant spaceship comes down, and we meet Eve, who's a more... You know, up-to-date robot. And that's, that's a change in our protagonist's situation. But we, we spend 20 minutes with Wally before that happens. Mm. If that happened in scene one, we would care less later on in the story when he gets in trouble. And that's why we do it. We really try and force nothing to happen, narrative. nothing, No change to the protagonist's life, at least, in, for the first couple of scenes. We just see them in their ordinary world.
0: So how many How many? potential puppets
1: would you take along to a glitch show we're rocking i think between 17 and 20 right now and and we we discovered that quite early on that we needed more we always needed more more like we've used 17 in a show before wow. we've got up to 17 yeah. which i didn't like because that means we've run out you know <laughs> we can't do any more no yeah. new characters <laughs> you know Uh, And you think there's not that many characters, but, you know, sometimes it happens, you know? Um, Yeah, like, I had, like, six or seven. I thought, this would be enough. Hmm. Like, puppets I'd built for other things in the past. And, like, a couple of puppets I'd brought, but I made a rule that no puppets that are brought should be in Glitch. This is a bespoke piece of theatre that should have its own things built for it, Hmm. you know? You don't see the Muppets... You know, <laughs> with like, something they brought at Hamley's, you know, like Stone the Crow and, or, you know, I think it's, on, yeah, I did, I did, I, you know, that's just a rule I set myself. Yeah. Um, so I, I started making puppets, and I mean, and the, there's a few that I rushed made that are really shitty and are still in the show. <laughs> it's like this little purple one that is just like one piece of fabric just sewn in a circle, and I've, like... Tied wire to attach feet and arms on. It's got no definitive features. It's got no neck. It's got nothing. It's just a slit for the mouth. And I was just like, we just need puppets. (laughs) And I'm just, like, glue gunning my fingers onto it, like, literally. (laughs) And, and like, I remember in an early show, I was, like, sewing one of those up in the audience before a show. Because I was just, like, it was, like, our second or third show, and we run out of puppets in the first one. I was just like, oh, my God, how are we going to do this? I'm just, like, quickly making puppets. So... Yeah, quite quickly. And, you like, we started doing cutaway scenes, you know? Flashbacks. And the more of those you do, the more you burn through the characters. And I've got this rule that the, the same puppet shouldn't play more than one character in the show. That's interesting. And I think, it, just visually, it's kind of weird if that puppet comes back. As human improvisers, we do it all the time, yeah. you know? Yeah. I do a two-prop show with Charlie, and we're just, like, churning through characters. Like, a new one every 30 seconds. Um, but in Glitch, I, just, I think it just... Just the theatre aspect of it, just theatrically, I don't think you want to see this little blue teddy bear mm. in the scene one being, you know, a character's school friend. You don't want to see it later on in the show when we need a Russian terrorist to show up, pick up that. But like, it, it's like, oh, hang on, wasn't he? Like, it's kind yeah. of weird yeah. from, a, from a visual standpoint. So all the puppets can only be used as one character in the show, and that became problematic very quickly when we started doing cutaways. You know, like we did, I remember an early show, we did like an X-Factor style cutaway. And we've got a special area on the stage where we do flashbacks, cutaways. And we had like the three judges, as you would see in in an X-Factor type show. The previous like contender, right, and then left the stage and then our protagonist came on. And it was, a, it was like a 20-second cutaway. Like, the protagonist said, oh, I, I was on the X-Factor once. We did a quick flashback. and We came back. But that's four puppets we've burned through yeah, in yeah, a 20-second yeah. scene. Two of them didn't even say anything. <laughs> but it, they just kind of were X-Factor judges. And we're like, oh, can't use those four puppets anymore. Okay. Um, and then we just start getting bits of fabric and pretending they're, you know, carrot, floating characters and mouths in the sky as we get <laughs> desperate. So, yeah, we... I, Quite quickly, realised we need twenty puppets. Wow! Yeah,
0: and do you find <clears throat> that particular puppets play the same sort of characters? Does the appearance of their puppet yeah. inform the characters this that is they a, play?
1: This is a very good question. It's something I'm very concerned about. I try to make them unique but simplistic. Right. they all start as a doodle. I draw a doodle, and if if that doodle has too much detail on it, it doesn't work in the show. These characters can't have, you know, eyelids and this and that, and and stuff that gives it too much character. They're kind of all circles with dots for eyes. Like, to some extent, there are variations on that. And, you know, because these puppets need to be, you know children in one show and old people in the next or you know anything we might need really and we don't want to put too much character in them Hmm. i've certainly there's a few that i think have a little too much character that might look look grumpy yeah or something there's like one with a monobrow but (laughs) even that character i've seen like he can look grumpy but i've also seen it performed in a way that you kind of like someone would play a very nice character with it and you almost feel sorry for this 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 character because you're like, oh, he's got this horrible grumpy face and he's probably so misunderstood. Like, yeah. So we tried to keep it not, you mm. know, not too specific in the design. Mm. But so
0: if... So when you're choosing a puppet to bring to the stage, yeah. how much conscious thought are you thinking right okay so I want this kind of character so I'm going for this sort of puppet Mm -hmm. or are you just
1: yeah yeah most of the time we don't have time to think really it's just we just bend down grab a puppet and it comes on stage yeah there is like you'd have to ask the other members of the group because we've never had a conversation about this we certainly all have our favourites yeah you know and if I'm reaching if I know that so I also try and balance the show out so if we've had a scene that was the, the last scene was too talky or information driven which happens i'll actively try and make the next scene simplistic or silly or physical mm. certainly if that's happened like I, I might find myself reaching down grabbing the nearest puppet and then just see like another one just a bit further on, and like, oh i'll go for that but you haven't got time to think no. but you know we certainly have our favorites <laughs> there's this orange puppet that has eyes really f- too far apart from his head, and a little mouth in the middle of his face. Like, not a big, like, flapping mouth. Yeah, like, yeah. Muppets have, like, a little kind of... Yeah. Like Bunsen Honeydew in the, in the <laughs> Muppets. Like, a little tiny, tiny mouth. And I love that character. <laughs> and I bring you can bring him on and just have him, like, look at, at the audience and he gets a laugh. And, yeah, there's something weird and interesting about that character, about that puppet. And, again, I've played it in multiple different shows, completely differently, like with very different voices, very different characteristics, and everyone else has played that character. So we actively try not to have characters connect to the puppets right. or give them names. Like Everyone's like, oh, what's this one's name? I'm like, oh, that's the blue one. Yeah. You know, because we don't want to have a connection to these puppets because right. they have to be blank canvases every show, just as we do. Yes. Um Yeah, Jim Henson said, it's very important to have a, a, a healthy disrespect for your puppets. <laughs> which I think is great. Yeah. And he just, you know, chucks Kermit across a room. <laughs> like, I'm done with him. And yeah, we kind of feel the same. It's like, this show's not about the puppets. It's about characters that we create using them.
0: So when you're telling a narrative story with Glitch, how do you structure it so that you get enough of your, you know, the elements you want to bring in without going off so far that it's hard to get to the climax? yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: We actively allow ourselves to fall fall off and allow oh, really? things to fall off, but we do, my, my whole thing is like in the rehearsal room we'll talk lots, on the day allow it all to fall apart and hopefully some of it happens, but you're looking under the hood now, you're really wanting me to lift up the hood and show you the engine. Um, we've got a, um, narratively I kind of We've kind of found this, and I didn't come up with this, but there's a kind of five-point... You can, there's like so many different types of narrative you can do. There's like a five-point narrative that we we do. Um, there's, a, there's a free line narrative that I love that was written by um, um, Tom Lennon and uh, his writing partner, Robert, Robert Ben-Gurant, in their book, uh, Writing Movies for Fun and Profit. Um, in their book, they say that all, all stories are, these, it, it, are, are this, are these three lines. Get a likeable guy, stuck up a tree, throw rocks at him, and then get him down from the tree. Right. That's it.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, Likeable guy stuck up a tree, throw rocks at him, get him down from the tree. So, likeable guy or just a protagonist, a character that we connect with, right? Stuck up a tree, so give them a new situation. You know, change their situation.
0: Yeah.
1: Throw rocks, like, give them obstacles and new things to deal with once while in this new situation. And then get them down. This is the important thing. Get them down from the tree. Like, have them return, hopefully having changed or learned something from their journey. So, Wizard of Oz, Dorothy, the tree is the, is the you know, the tornado that takes her to a parallel universe. The rocks are, you know, a crazy witch and flying monkeys and everything. And then she returns, you know? And that's true of, you know, Die Hard and The Matrix and Star Wars and, you know, every Russian folklore and every, <laughs> every European fairy tale. Like, they're all like, well, oh, guys, stuck up a tree. Throw rocks and get them down from the tree. So that I love, and I always bring that up first whenever I'm talking to people about narrative. It's just like, if you can get that done, then you're fine, mm-hmm. right? But so many times I'm like, oh, they didn't do a tree. (laughs) They forgot to throw rocks. (laughs) Or they just left them up there, you know? And it's just, it's such a simple little analogy. But it's so true. And you can literally go like, all right, in that story, what was the tree? What were the rocks? You know? Were there enough rocks? Was it interesting? So, but we've kind of expanded that. And I didn't come up with these five things. It's on the internet somewhere. It's um, balance, unbalance, quest, climax, new balance. Oh, right, okay. So balance, establish a protagonist in their ordinary situation, their everyday life, It's their balanced world. Unbalance, we, we tilt it, we unbalance their situation, we change. Sometimes abruptly, sometimes slowly, you know, we might point towards a change and get there eventually. This doesn't have to be quick, we just change their everyday situation. So every story is a change in the character situation, every right. good story, otherwise... We're just watching, you know, Dorothy walking around the farm milking cows. <laughs> Lost for a bit, but, you know, it's, it's not It's going to be, like, her uh, just, you know, walking the dog. <laughs> and as adorable as she is, I'm, I want a tornado to come and take her and get rid of her. Balance. So that's balance. Unbalance. So we change the situation in some way. Uh, quest is, like, the reaction to whatever the unbalance was. And this is the main bulk of your show. This is, like, half... Or show, maybe more. Uh, there should be ups, there should be downs. Upbeats, downbeats. Downs, ups, it's, yeah. it's a winding road. It's the road of trials, Campbell would call it. Um, good things, bad things, allies turn up, mentors, this, that. Um, <clears throat> there's lots of things that we like to do. There's things we've kind of... It's more than that. It's more than just this happens and that happens. We'll, we'll get into it if you're interested. And leading up to... Uh, so balance unbalanced quest climax the big finale the resolution whatever the problem was is now solved you know the the slaves are free the the witch is dead the you know the whatever the problem is is has been resolved and then my favorite one that everyone forgets is new balance so after the big climax there's another scene yeah one more quick little little pickup um A great writer, Dan Harmon, refers to this scene as having changed. Your character returns having changed. And I I like that. I think there should be a quick little, to use Wizard of Oz again, and you were there, and you were there, and you were there. You know, that would be, it would be, you kind of need that. You need to cross the return threshold and, and go home and see the character. You know, see Woody and Buzz sitting on the bed at the end going, oh, we're all right now, you and me. Yeah. Good for you. You're my mate. Like, we need, you need that scene. Everyone forgets that scene's in the movie, but it's there, yeah. and it's important yeah. for an audience to be like, oh, I feel good now. <laughs> yeah. Everything's good, and our character learned. Um, that doesn't always happen. Um, we've certainly done a lot of glitch shows where the character learned nothing, or we've not crossed the return threshold, or 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 we've killed the protagonist. Really? Like, we've done that a bunch of times, yeah. Wow. Like, we, we try not to... We, we've got that kind of in our souls and we talk about it in rehearsal but we allow ourselves to get loose with that idea and go off on tangents mm. and you know be a little uh you know charlie kaufman with our with our stories cool cool
0: so um obviously puppets is a big thing that you do in improv but it's not the only thing is it no you're involved in other improv I as am. well <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that.
1: Um, yeah, I, think, I mean, you know you're interviewing all these amazing people. The, the London improv community right now is is amazing. There's so many interesting things going on. And I've been lucky enough to see it grow. Like, I was, you know, involved in improv. I'm not one of these people who found improv in my 30s. I'm like, oh, no, I was, I was a teenager. <laughs> I certainly lost it for a huge chunk of my <laughs> 20s. Uh, But it came, yeah, uh, but I I found it as a teenager, so I was aware of it. So when I came back to London after living abroad for a bit, um, I saw that on your list. (laughs) You're ready to talk to me about living abroad. Do you want to talk about that? No, we'll get there, we'll get there. (laughs) Um, But yeah, sorry. Um, Did you, when you were... Yeah, I came back to London after being away, and... Uh, just tried to see what was going on in the improv world, basically, because I missed it, and I wanted I wanted it back. And I found Remy doing um, uh, Imprology, um, and I found Alan Marriott doing Crunchy Frog. And I did both those schools of thought that are very different. That are ve- and I was I was I felt very lucky to have these two very different teachers at that time. Having already you know done. You know Lee Simpson and Phelan McDermott and those guys, to 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 have that so far in the past, and then come to this new two new schools of thought. And Remy's, Remy never talked about game of the scene or yes ending. He never he. It's all very philosophical and spontaneous. <laughs> have you met Remy? Yes, I. Have. He's amazing. He's amazing. A very interesting character. <laughs> say that, um, Remy. If you're listening, I love you. He's amazing. Um, But it was really funny, everyone other than Remy is teaching some very similar schools of thought, and philosophies and ideas, and he's not doing any of that. Or he is, but he's given him his own words, but I loved that, and I was doing, I met Roderick Miller uh, doing that as well, and we were doing some really, really interesting scenes, some really interesting ideas and concepts, I loved that, and it was so cool to have had that experience. and then with Crunchy Frog, it was a lot more what you'd expect from contemporary improv. It was, uh, you know, initiation, yes and, game of the scene, flagging the game, escalating, relationship. Like, it was all the stuff that we know and love, like, with that. So I got these two great kind of forces. Um, yeah, and then there was one show I did with Remy's group where uh, Jules Munn's was running the first Slapdash Festival, the very first one. And um, we're in the Old Vic Tunnels, right? So underground. And he had just invited, like, I don't know, I want to say 10 different improv groups to bring, not all their people, but a few people, and to put on a big show together. And we did kind of short form games, and I I came there with with Remy and um, a couple of other people from, from that group. And that was the night I met everyone, just everyone, um, you know, all the, all the you know, all, everyone we know in the improv community We're so <laughs> teaching now, I met Katie Shute and Heather, and I didn't meet Steve that night, but he was, he, he yeah, I met everyone that night and eventually met Steve and found, um, like, he needed help. <laughs> right? No, 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 it was perfect. It, it, Hoopla was just getting bigger, yeah. and I turned up being like, I can help, and it was a perfect time, and like, John Monkhouse was around as well, and he had already helped Steve loads, getting like, Steve had gone from one night to two nights at the Miller, and, and uh, John was helping run the second night, and it was all just getting like, building up, building up, building up, and kind of over, over six months, I guess, me and Steve got to know each other, and eventually... Uh, I was helping host things. And then, then for, like, a year, it was just me. It was a lot of me doing the live shows, and Steve was teaching, but not necessarily doing the live stuff, the Friday-Saturday shows. Uh, yeah, so I've been hosting and looking after launch pads as well. I've done, like, loads of those and hosting the Friday-Saturday shows and coaching coaching groups as well, which is fun. Yeah, tell me about
0: the, the coaching.
1: The coaching's good. Uh, coaching's fascinating because... Uh, you're not teaching improv. You're giving this specific group of people what they specifically need. Ooh.
0: Right? That's really interesting. So
1: everyone thinks, oh, you're a coach. You're coaching, yeah. you're coaching them. It's just like being a teacher. I'm like, no, no, no. Different groups need something different. Uh, right. So I heard you interviewing uh, Angela from the Pina Colliders. So oh, did yeah. Danny and Sandy. She briefly talked about that. Oh, and you did uh, Heather as well. Yes. Yeah, yes. of course. So I coached them for a little bit. Um, and that came from Alana kind of wanted to form a group and she's very organized and said we should have a coach and she'd see me do a bunch of shows and she saw me in Mike and Charlie and we just kind of formed that way and they just needed to learn short form games like I didn't really teach them any improv mm. they, had, they had come off loads of courses and I think what they needed was um, just to learn games I helped them like from a theatre standpoint put their show on like simple things like hosting the game bringing the chairs on you need to and then what's a good way of playing this particular game so I was like helping them build their show more than teaching them improv whereas uh, that's just an example of one mm. one group I've helped but like that was unique to them that's w- all they needed you know they didn't need me to really coach them on improv mm. they they were doing their own thing and they're five very different personalities that work very well on stage and I almost didn't want to yeah crowd their brains to too much stuff, because yep. what I loved about them was like these five great personalities yeah, great, who were yeah. clashing on stage in interesting ways and having fun, mm, having mm. fun. Uh, so that's what they need, whereas other groups need other things. I'm, I'm uh, coaching the parentheticals right now, or their, their sneaky little side group. In prodigy. In prodigy on narrative, and they're doing like a, a narrator-driven narrative. So there's a narrator of a book kind of telling their story and making it up. And that's protagonist-led as well, and that's going really well, I think. You saw one the other night. Yeah, yeah, it's going, really <laughs> well. going really well. Yeah, I think they're doing good. I've coached some other groups here and there, um, but uh, yeah, I like I like helping people out, and I've got and because I came from theatre, mm-hmm. right? I'm not an improviser who studied who found it late. Like I'm actually, I think that's useful to some groups. Is mm-hmm. I'm not just looking at looking at the improv. I'm trying to put on a show, and I think mm-hmm. that's important. No, I love I think, that idea a bit. I think sometimes improv can get a little talky. I think we've all seen that scene with two people standing opposite each other, just trying to let the audience know how intelligent they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of bored of that. Yeah, yeah Like, yeah. there's some groups who do it really well, and there's some improvisers who do it really well, and I'll gladly sit through those shows. But um, it's not the only approach. It's there's not the only approach, and also there's a lot of people who see that and think that that's it. Yes, yes. Um, I've been in, I've, I was in a group where we just did silent scenes. Mm. I was in a group called Stump, so, uh, me and Lucy Fennell and Steve Rowe. We just did silent scenes, like, whole launch pad sets like 15-20 minutes just like no words and we discovered that this is great because we're still doing everything you would do in improv we're still making an initiation recognizing that initiation paying attention to it yes and in that suggestion we're just not doing it with words you know yeah yeah, it's really powerful and it makes audiences lean in like everyone's like as soon as we stop talking they're like oh oh they're not they're not talking like thirty seconds in, they're like, "Oh, they're gonna do the whole show like this." We'd never <laughs> say sign We just do the thing, and we're wearing animal onesies. <laughs> okay. oh, so I was with you until that. Point. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that but, but yeah, I,
1: t- I try and bring theatre into it as well, and that's certainly true in Glitch. And then I, I don't really like the the talky, talky, thinky, thinky, brainy two prof. I do when it's done well, but mm. even that in moderation. Um, I'm also in. Uh, Mike and Charlie, mm, with Charlie. so uh that happened accidentally sometimes in glitch we do a launch pad for fun we used to do it like years ago we would just book ourselves on a launch pad and uh just do like a montage or something just to like not have to do narrative or puppets for once mm. like we like playing with each other but That's... we don't like it's so nice and so freeing to to oh, do a really? montage so you no puppets at all you would just No it just us we just do a yeah, montage yeah. we just do yeah. just, Scenes or something. I mean, you would realize in Glitch, we're doing improv, not even looking at each other. Yeah. So for, to actually look at each other and do a scene, it's, just, it's a delight. So we used to do those as a group. And I booked us on a launch pad. And it came out that there was only going to be four of us who were available. And Charlie had just joined, right, just like three weeks, two weeks earlier and had done one rehearsal with us. That day, two, the other two dropped out that day one had a medical thing the other had some other job thing yeah. and Charlie turned up who I'd just met <laughs> like two weeks earlier, three weeks earlier and I said um, so the other two aren't coming, it's just me and you um, and George Georgina Rovers was hosting um, and, and she yeah. anyway, Charlie was just like okay yeah no problem <laughs> fine, Brilliant. what are we going to do? I was like have you ever done two problems before? and she went no I'm like, fine. I, and I started teaching her, like, a format of 2Prov that me and another person used to do, Constantine, used to do. And she went, oh, can, we do, can we do something more simple? <laughs> and she was completely right. She just stripped it away. Like, me and, me and Constantine had a laptop with sound effects on, and yeah, we yeah, were just, yeah. like, being, like, too fancy. Yeah. She just kind of stripped it away. And yeah. we did that. And we did a launchpad. And, like I said, George was hosting, and we hadn't even given the show a name. And George had that just went, uh, Mike and Charlie. <laughs> and that's the birth of that. And we that, in the audience that night was um, Ed from Giggle Loop and Shem from C3 something. And Shem came up to us and said, oh, we're doing a Bring Your Own Team jam on Sunday, <laughs> like in a few days' time. Do you want to come? And then um, Ed, who I've coached as well in Giggle Loop, was like, oh, uh, do you guys want to do the Giggle Loop show? next week <laughs> and me and charlie were like well i guess mike and charlie is a thing that's <laughs> brilliant yeah we're doing a show now <laughs> but our philosophy there was uh, we, we definitely nailed it at that bring your own team jam because we were on uh, 15th of 17 groups and, there was, see, I love and it. everyone had oh, seven oh. everyone had like seven minutes to do <laughs> something and there was a lot of two prov and there, and we were at the nursery and there was, there was a couple of groups in a row who were doing the talky-thinky thing, which, again, done well is great. Uh, it sort of, sometimes it's not uh, by people trying to emulate yeah. the good ones at yeah. it. Uh, and, and it's an easy thing to fall into because you kind of think it's all words. And Charlie just kind of leaned in like, next to me and said, let's not do that. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I was like, and we didn't have a conversation on that, but I got what she meant. Yeah. And we did the dumbest most physical, silly scene, with like, you've ever like, like, just seven minutes of us just being really physical and, 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 and fun and dumb, and I, I've studied clowning, and I'm physical, and Charlie's a dancer, and we just got this show, it was just so, so much fun, it was just seven minutes, and we were like, oh, I know what this is now, yeah. we kind of did it at the launch pad, but we were like, oh, I know it is now, and then we were able to back that up really quickly the next week at the Giggle Loop show, and we're like, cool, we know what this is, it's Kinetic and physical and yeah. fun and broad. The characters are broad. You know, it, it, we're not going to do talky, thinky. We will, as we did in a recent show, play two snails <laughs> and then spend a minute on stage climbing out of our shells, swapping shells, and getting back in. You know? Brilliant. So it's we did. A, we did a scene at the um, the old um, Duck Duck Goose in Stockwell which is one floor up, and the stage is uh, by a window. And we did this transition where we just copy each other, and we ended up on, we started in the middle of the stage and ended up on opposite sides with our arms like resting on the wall, my arms on the wall, but Charlie's arm is on a curtain. And uh, Vic from the front row went, Charlie, Charlie, the window is open, right? She was like trying to quietly tell Charlie not to put her arm there because the window's like, open because it's really hot in there. Yeah. And I took that as a suggestion, so I came on and went, Charlie, the window's open. And I opened the curtain and climbed out the window. And Charlie's like, what, the window's open? Climbed out with me. We then shut the window behind us. Only like a third of the audience can see us at this point. And we're doing a scene on the wrong side of the window. <laughs> on this like one foot balcony. Uh, meanwhile, Vic's probably about to have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. And, like, only, like, a tiny percent of the audience can actually see us through the window. There's the front row on the opposite side. (laughs) We're doing this scene on the other side of the window, talking, like, whispering to each other. A bus pulls up. And we're one floor up, of course. (laughs) Bus pulls up. There's two people in the front of the bus. And we just, like, casually wave at (laughs) these two people. These two people had the most confused look on their face (laughs) and kind of wave back. And then they look at each other, and the bus drives off. And the few audience members who witnessed that were, like, laughing. <laughs> we opened up the window, climbed back in, sat on stage, and started the scene as those two people on the bus. No, but sorry. one minute before that happened. <laughs> <laughs> and the scene ended with them getting off the bus and coming up into the, sh- the theatre <laughs> to work out what the hell was going on. <laughs> like, Beautiful. But that's very, like, I think that's a very Mike and Charlie moment of us, like, no, we're going to go out the window. <laughs> <laughs> we broke a stage once, uh, and running on stage to do the show, we stepped on, on the stage and it broke beneath our feet, and before we'd even got a suggestion, we just launched into a scene of like a grandfather teaching his son about carpentry, using yeah. the word... like. You know. It gets silly very quickly. We're not trying to... It's not a smart show. I think it's quite smart. It's just fun and... And uh, physical and kinetic. And, yeah. And she's great. You should have Charlie on the podcast. She'd be, she'd be very welcome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: she's got a few things to say. Brilliant. Well, we should more or less wrap things up. Wow. Has it been an hour? It's been an hour. Wow. Do you want to give a
1: special message? Oh, yeah. So um, we're going to the Edinburgh Festival this year for the first time ever. Brilliant. With Glitch. We've somehow never gone yet. And uh, uh, right now... We're in the middle of, uh, we're like, when's this coming out? Like this week, right? This will be tomorrow. Oh, so amazing. Now. So we're um, in the middle of an Indiegogo campaign, right, to raise a bit of funds to help us put our show on and get us up there and get the cello up there and put roots over our head and everything. Um, we looked in these Indiegogo campaigns and Kickstarters and saw, you know, for, for people's support they get, like, rewards or perks, as they call them, and... I was like, if we're gonna do this, I want the coolest things we could possibly give. And I think the coolest thing Glitch have to give is puppets, right? Um, so we're uh, we're making puppets. We're making puppets and giving them away. There's lots of other perks. As we're gonna do like a spoken word poem based on your name, and there's <laughs> like lots of silly other levels of perks of rewards. But certainly the the sexy one is you get your own handmade one of a kind. No two are the same. Yeah. Um, puppet that we've made that is yours and is unique for, yeah, so there's have a look on the Indiegogo page uh, just type in Glitch when you search Indiegogo or there's a link to it on our Twitter and Facebook but if you want a puppet and he- help us get to Edinburgh this is your chance this is your chance and we're not going to be selling them in any other way because, you know to get one of us who make puppets professionally To make a -a one-of-a-kind puppet, like, it it should be a four-figure number. So for us to do it for a two-figure number (laughs) is ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, we're we're on our way to Edinburgh.
0: Brilliant. (laughs) Well, I should look forward to hearing about how that goes when you've done it. When we've returned, when when we come back
1: either crying from no audience showing up or ecstatic. (laughs) But maybe when you're in Edinburgh... You'll encounter allies
0: mm. and maybe some enemies. We get definitely
1: across a threshold. And have some low points, and you know. But when you come back, one of us might die. I hope that doesn't happen. I kind of hope it does because that will make the story more compelling. I'm going to kill someone. Who should I kill? I'm the protagonist of my own story, so it's going to be one of the. I'm going to kill Lewis. That'll be fun. Let's kill Lewis. <laughs> Just make the story so much better. <laughs> <laughs> would it be terrible if he
0: died? Yes, it would be terrible if he died. And this is
1: on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you yes handing this? you are making me sound like a psychopath. I'll kill some of the puppets. How about that? Is that better? They're just foam and fur and sponge. <laughs> Have I crossed the line here? No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to wrap this up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's all right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> it's been a blast. Thank you.
1: I made this. That's improv!